Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey guys, Kevin Cruz here. Welcome to the LeadX Leadership Show, where we help you to stand out and to get ahead at work. Now, as you know, we like to switch things up here, keep it interesting, and to continue that tradition, today on the podcast, instead of me interviewing an expert guest, we're going to have the guest deep dive into their topic. You see, you'll be hearing audio from a LeadX webinar. Now, of course, there are dozens of great webinars on leadership, management, communication, productivity, and more, all archived in the LeadX app. Just visit leadx.org for more information about our webinar archive. So enough on the setup, enough background information. Here is Vanya Mathis to introduce our guest and to hand it over to them. Enjoy. Welcome to How to Become a Millennial Whisperer. What makes millennials so misunderstood in our workplace? Today, you're going to learn what they're looking for from leaders and what makes them different from the rest of the workforce. And you'll walk away with tactics that you can begin implementing today to boost productivity and decrease turnover. Our next host was one of the first marketers to work with startups like Facebook, and he's built his career surrounded by millennials while becoming one of the most sought out leaders in the digital marketing space. He's a partner at the advertising agency 22 Squared, where he successfully attracts, motivates, and whispers to millennials every day. Please welcome Chris Tuff. Welcome, everyone. I'm super excited to share all about my book, The Millennial Whisperer, which has uh, it published about eight weeks ago, maybe a little bit more. We've sold about 35,000 copies, and I feel like it's just now starting to really take off. And, you know, one of the main drivers behind the book itself was what I call my passion disorder. And it was about four years ago that I was sitting next to my brother and I was passionately talking about something. And he turns to me and he goes, Chris, has anyone ever told you you have a passion disorder? And I turned back to him and said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? He said, it's a good thing. You got to embrace that. And as you look at kind of all of our passions evolve with life and why I wrote this book is around my newfound passion, which hit me about two and a half years ago, which is the idea of how do we bring more empathy and connection into our worlds? And why not start with the organizations in which we end up spending nine hours a day? The other thing that I encourage to anyone that I work with is I say life needs to be a ruthless pursuit of passions. And I think one of the things that you'll find with my book, The Millennial Whisper, is it really is around how can we as leaders better bring this next generation along, but also allow them to tap into their passions. Now, the book itself, uh, it's been great because we are a bestseller and we'll be in every single airport in June and it's just now starting to take off. It's been uh, translated into Spanish and Portuguese and other languages. But, you know, the main thing around the book itself of what I want to make sure comes through is I want to change the workplace with this book. And one of the key metrics that I change within myself, which I'm very upfront with all of my people about, is growing up in the ad agency, I played all the different roles. And I was about three years ago, kind of the Don Draper, flying all over the globe, uh, whining and dining, and 
on the outside, I looked great. But on the inside, I was struggling because I had lost sight of what, where my roots were. And um, so, you know, my book actually starts with how I change one key metric for myself. And that was my metric of success. And I went from changing that metric. My success metric used to be beating my brothers at the game of life. And it evolved to, <laughs> very much evolved to, how can I have the most impact on others in a day? And to judge it on a daily basis versus a quarterly or yearly basis. And so that's how I started the book. And if you actually break it down, there are eight key chapters that really walk through the elements of um, how can we be better leaders for this next generation? And you can see on the cover here, all of the negatives that I feel like they, they've been served. Um, it's been a massive disservice to this generation. And, you know, if you actually just go into Google, you can see that auto-populated, you put in millennials are, and you quickly see all of these negatives. And it was funny. So when I first started talking about this idea of the book, it was an executive retreat in North Georgia with the average age being about 55 years old. We were sitting around the fire and I introduced myself and I said, you know, I don't know what I do. I used to be the kind of head of business development. I was the social media guy. And now I'm more of this servant leader with a group of 30 millennials beneath me that I'm leading and coaching. And I've kind of turned into the millennial whisperer. And I went on and shared my story and sat down at the fire. And Tommy Breedlove, who was leading this uh, whole trip, turned to me. He goes, you better write that book. I was like, what book? He goes, The Millennial Whisperer. And I said, all right, well, I'm very ADD. I don't know how to write a book. He was like, let me, let me help you with a few resources, et cetera. And that was about 18 months ago. And you know, one of the big things that I started talking about around the fire was that same group said, so like, what are some of the things you do? Like, how do you manage this next generation? I started talking about some of the tactics that I do and they go, you do what? And a lot of those ideas are in my book. And the way that I wrote the book is that, you know, we talk about, it's all based with data, but we then talk about stories from small business all the way to large business and everything in between. And then we have tactical takeaways. And, you know, one of the big things is, and I start off many pieces of this book, is that Google is one of the best resources to look at all of the negative things that are being said about millennials. And, you know, it is millennials are entitled, needy, killing cats is one of the ones that comes up. And these are the most searched for items that are coming up automatically on Twitter. And if you just go to Giphy and you look at the GIFs, I think this is a good example of how this generation is perceived. And one thing that I talk a lot of people about is we've got to stop using millennials as a synonym for inexperience and instead start adapting our ways to actually not only accommodate this generation, but to bring our corporations and companies along to be better corporations and companies. And one of my favorite quotes was from a friend, Evan LaPointe, and he said, millennials aren't the problem, they just expose the problem. And so a lot of these aspects of the book is some people will come to me and say, I think that this is just a book about leadership. And I say, it is. 
you know, it's just, it, it, it is in its essence, in its core, it is about leadership. And it's about a, a generation that's 71 million strong. That is a huge generation. We're talking about right now in the marketplace, 37 year olds all the way down to 23 year olds. That is a vast population of people. And if you think about some of the contributing factors into what makes these, this generation different than ones before, there's no better place to look than their college career. If you look at the older millennials, they had beepers. I remember, I mean, I'm right on the cusp, so I'm 38, right? And so if you look at my college, I didn't even have Facebook until the day, the year after I graduated from college. I had a beeper, if that, at my senior year of college. You juxtapose that to the younger millennials that were given basically an iPhone with a Snapchat on it at age 13. That's a huge difference in the generations. And one thing I set out in the book is that as we look at this generation, we've got to break it into two different generations. One, older millennials, which I call the Oregon Trail millennials, because you older ones know what I'm talking about. You have actually played Oregon Trail at some point in your upbringing. And then the younger millennials, I call them Snapchat millennials, because they were given a phone with thir uh, at 13, and they have conversed mostly within their social circles via Snapchat. So one, that thing variable that makes them very different is technology. The other one is when the recession either hit them or their parents. So the older millennials were actually in the workplace by the time the recession hit. So they were forced to learn new ways to adapt and be entrepreneurial. The younger millennials saw their parents lose their jobs. So what that's actually created is a generation that is looking more for security and more for a place to hang their hat and an increased emphasis on purpose, which we'll talk a little bit more about. So one thing is, is break them into two. The other thing to consider is that regardless of what generation you're in, regardless of you're an Xer, a boomer, a millennial, or a Gen Z, we can all attest to this idea of what I call the Pinterest station of a generation. And not only is it a generation, it's affecting all of us. And there's no better place to turn than the first day of school every year. And on the first day of school, you look at your feeds and it's pictures like this, right? Abigail's first day of kindergarten, the teacher's name, these perfect smiles, these cure, the hair is absolutely perfect. And it's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting. And not only that, but I also use the example on my daughter's fourth birthday. This was a few years ago. It was the night before. It was like 1030. We had just, we'd gotten the kids down, wrapped presents. And my wife gave me her phone with a pinned Pinterest picture of this saran wrap contraption that wrapped around their door with over a hundred balloons in it. So as she opened the door, it would all come in. And I say, no, three balloons. This is exhausting. We can't keep leaving, living our lives this way. And one thing that I encourage to all of my the employees that work with me is you got to stop comparing your insides to other people's outsides because this is the case. And Stop putting yourself under such ridiculous pressure. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But a lot of my book is really about how do you keep millennials fired up? 
And if you look at what they're looking for from their organizations, it's not that different than previous generations. And in terms of the first thing they're looking for, they're looking for money and benefits. So make sure that you don't lose sight of that. The other thing that they're looking for is a positive work culture, flexibility, and opportunities for continuous learning. This is according to the Deloitte Millennial Survey last year. And so you look at things like positive work culture, the last thing we need to be doing is going and buying a bunch of ping pong tables and kegs because our culture sucks. Instead, we should work on the core of that culture. And that's why on the back of my book, I say throw away the kegs of ping pong tables and put the participation trophies in the trash because culture really starts with good leadership. Um, uh, so one other thing that I talk about is that I had someone turn to me and say, Chris, I've got a full-time barista. I got a cereal bar, you know, but my people still aren't happy. And I said, yeah, because the problems exist at the core. And if you look at culture, you look at what makes that the way it is, it's really a byproduct of great leadership. Great cultures are a byproduct of great leadership. And you look at what this generation is looking for within their leaders, it's inspirational leadership, autonomy, transparency, and constant feedback. So, the first one is a really interesting one, right? Inspirational leadership. A lot of leaders think they're inspirational. And if you ask Bob, who leads, let's say, 30 millennials, hey, Bob, are you inspirational? Bob will say, hey, yeah, they light up anytime I talk to them. You know, I'm super inspirational. And then you ask two people on Bob's team, hey, is Bob inspirational? Their first question is, is Bob going to find out? It's like, no, Bob's not going to find out. Okay. No, he's not inspirational. <laughs> He's the opposite of inspirational. And that's also why I've created the Millennial Leadership Assessment, which actually assesses from a 360 view some of these key leadership qualities that this next generation is looking for. Another one that I think is important to talk about is autonomy and transparency. And I talk about autonomy within structure, which basically means this generation, and a lot of us, I know I can attest to this, hate being micromanaged. And so autonomy is a really important piece, but also this need for transparency. And I think people automatically think that transparency just means that they either need to cry in front of their people or they have to show all of their financial results. And what transparency really is reflected of is this need for connection. And one of the contentious things that I say in the book is that everyone should follow their people on social media. So when it comes Monday, you can actually connect with people and say, hey, Meg, that concert looked epic. Like, wow, what else did you get into? That creates connection. And not only that, but transparency also means showing a little bit of vulnerability. So admitting where you make mistakes. So we can talk, obviously, the, a little bit more about that, but I know my time is limited. You know, one thing I do actually disclose to all of my employees is an embarrassing moment. This embarrassing moment happened four years ago. And I was out in Sun Valley, Idaho, and I hired a fishing guide. And I turned the fishing guide and I said, listen, I want two shots. That's it. I want a picture of the trout. And then I want a video of me, Brad pitting it with a river runs through it, kind of, you know, the mountains in the background, me in the silhouette of the, 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 the whole movement of the rod. That's it. And this guy turns to me, he goes, you're paying 600 bucks for an Instagram post. And I turned back and I said, no, I'm paying 300 bucks each. Let's go. And this is a harsh reality that we all post these perfect pictures of our lives. 
And what that creates is this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. So as we look at our friends, as we look at their lives, as we look at their jobs, we tend to think that life is much better than it actually is. And that's what creates what I call my 70-30 rule, which is this constant reminder that 30% of your job is going to suck. 70% should light you up, fire you up, and keep you motivated. But 30% is going to be tough. 30% is going to be doing stuff you don't necessarily want to do. And that constant reminder, I think, is really important as we tend to think that the grass is always greener on the other side and as we try to hop jobs um, to try to pursue those things because we think that this unattainable thing is actually attainable when it isn't. So I think it's really important that we continue to teach our people that and to teach them to water our own yards and to mow our own yards before we think the other one's the best. There's also this idea that seems to be catching on uh, from uh, a friend of mine who just so happened to be called out as Forbes' number one boss for millennials. He was the number one boss for millennials, according to Forbes magazine. And he introduced me to this idea of protect your house, which comes from Under Armour. And protect your house is this idea of pushing down both control of the culture, but as well as things like unlimited vacation. So when someone is a bad culture fit, put it on your people to protect this house. You should lead and teach them what that represents. But when it comes time to spit someone out, it's up to them to self-regulate that. The same is true for unlimited vacation. When someone takes a vacation and, and comes back and that person is covered by that other person, then the same thing is going to come back that the, the other way when the vacationer returns, the person covering for them is going to take off for two weeks. So it creates this uh, self-regulating system where protecting your house and teaching your employees around what that house looks like that's what your role is as a leader, not necessarily you controlling all of it. You know, one piece that I think is really important and it's a product of two main things and it's this constant need for reward and recognition. And I say to everyone that if when your head hits the pillow, if you're not utterly exhausted from rewarding and recognizing your people, you haven't done it enough. And the reason for that are two things. One, a lot of this generation is a product of helicopter parents. So they have been overly rewarded and recognized through a lot of their life. And the other thing is just anytime they wanted that validation, they post to social media to get a bunch of likes or hearts or whatever it is. And if they don't get enough, they take it down. So, you know, one of these things that I think is really important and a key to being a successful leader with this generation is to really figure out a reward system. And I use two kind of main examples. The first one, the blue rooster. Now out West, there's a company called Domo. It's a tech company and they refer to all their employees as Domo Sapiens. And on a Domo Sapiens first day of work, they put their name and then they put their at bat song. And, uh, their at-bat song is their favorite song that they want to play if they're going to at-bat. And so on the first day of every month, they, over the loudspeakers of this warehouse, where it will blare the salesperson of the month at-bat song, 
blue sirens go off and then they drag this 10 foot blue rooster to sit at that person's desk. And everyone is clamoring to have that blue rooster to sit next to their desk. There's not a monetary reward, but this is what is representative of that kind of big thing. Now that's extreme, right? That is maybe you're not creative enough to come up with your own blue rooster. So how about something as simple as what I call snaps? And snaps is once again, using more of a vernacular that millennials are comfortable with. But in any one of our team statuses, what we do is we start it off with snaps. And so I'll start it off with, instead of just going through a long list of what everyone's working on, we put it in the form of recognizing each other. So I'll say, Meg, you totally killed it at that presentation. You went above and beyond. You pushed yourself to out of your comfort zone. And for that, you get snaps. And then everyone snaps. And then that goes on and on and on as people recognize one another, whether it be someone on their team or someone just helping them out when they needed it. And that creates an environment of empathy. It creates an environment of encouragement. And I think that we don't have near enough of that within our own walls. So snaps is a tactic that anyone can use. Another thing, and especially as we start looking to the younger millennial group into Gen Z, purpose becomes even more important. And so purpose and the importance of purpose for corporations is imperative because what we're finding is that when people are actually looking for jobs, they're looking to give to something more than just a bottom line. So what is it that this company represents that is bigger than myself or a profit margin or an increase in stock price. I use examples like Patagonia as one that does a great job of putting a good purpose out there, but then also walking the talk. But that's the starting spot. And beyond that, I think it's our job as leaders to also help people identify their individual purposes. So what is it that drives you as an individual and how does that then relate back to your day-to-day -day job? So I took this to the kind of next level with my own group and I announced at one of our team statuses that in six weeks, everyone is going to announce to everyone else what their purpose statement was. It's going to be a Jeffersonian dinner, so only one person's allowed to talk at a time. And you're going to put a stake in the ground as to what you are representing in life. And that should act as your guiding principles. And so it was interesting because you would have thought that I had said something completely uh, daunting or impossible because everyone's like, what? We have to do what? But what ended up happening and what ended up unraveling as I worked with every single person on the team's individual purpose statements, it ended up being one of the most impactful nights of, I think, my, my career where people put a stake in the ground. And not only that, after they announced their purpose statement, what we were able to do was sit down with each of them and talk about what their current job duties were, where their purpose statement was, where the corporations are purpose statement 22 squared, our ad agency, is together we give rise to change. And when you put all those things together, you ask yourself, so how can I be more in line with my own personal 
purpose statement. Mine is to inspire and connect. And obviously, I now do that almost all day, every day. It wasn't always the case. So what we identify together and what my job is as their leader is to say, these are the three things we're going to introduce into your day-to-day in order to be more in line with your purpose, personal purpose, and actually following through with that. So, you know, I think it's important that we shift our mindset, not only shift the mindset into how we run our corporations, but also how we uh, give this generation the credit where they need it. And I think it is one of the best generations to come along. And guess what? If you can't get this generation, they're coming no matter what. So it's time to adapt or truly die. One other big piece that I think is important, and Harvard Business Review put this on their front cover saying why feedback fails. And if anyone reads that article, I encourage everyone to, what you'll uncover is that our feedback system and and loop within our corporations is not working. And with a few simple tweaks, I think we can be better at giving feedback in real time. And so what I call building a better sandwich, which is this awesome public sub, which I would definitely eat right now. But you basically start with a compliment and then you give them more of the tougher feedback and then they, you end with a compliment. So it's the feedback is sandwiched with two kind of empowering build ups. So the other thing is as you shift from compliment into feedback, use and instead of but. For example, Meg, you did a really good job presenting to the client. Uh, and there's a couple things that I think you could do to take it to the next level. For example, you said, um, about 17 times. So how can we start replacing that with other transitional phrases? And by the way, I saw that crowd light up and your enthusiasm is contagious. So high five. That's a way that we can do it. So I think building a better sandwich is also important. One thing that drives me crazy and anyone can attest to this, regardless of the size of your company, is when people in meetings or within email start it with, let's do this or let's do that. So I've introduced this phrase of turn your let's into a buy and answer it with a buy when. So if we say, try it in your social life, how many times do we say, let's grab coffee, let's grab a drink, let's grab dinner, and then nothing happens. So when someone does that to you, automatically respond back with buy when. It's instant accountability. So for a lot of these ideas that we have in our corporations or for approaching things in a more creative way, turn your let's into a buy when and practice this. I mean, even just leaving this webinar, try it in your daily life and you'll start seeing coffees actually happen because someone's going to say, let's do coffee. And then you turn back and you say, buy when they're going to say, Oh, within the next two weeks. Sure. Let's go. And then you're meeting. So that's another, I think, key thing. And so, Once again, it's hard to call down my whole book into just one webinar, but I would ask this of you was, is by when can you create more connection with your people? Because that as human beings is where our greatest deficit I think lies and this kind of need for empathy, but create a connection with your people. So by when are you going to do that? Another tactic to do that is just in your one-on-ones with your people, give them the option 
to talk about work or life. 80% of the time, they're going to talk about life. You can talk about work later, but they want to create a connection with you as their leader. Two, by when are you going to actually reward and recognize your people? I have a lot of ideas in the book. I've shared a couple with the Blue Rooster and Snaps that we can do a better job of rewarding and recognizing our people. Also, another form of reward and recognition is just saying, thank you for doing a great job. It's not that difficult, people. We can do more of this. I know it. And then the third piece is leading with purpose. So if you're going to put a stake in the ground, do it. Make sure you understand your own purpose statement. And then also that your company has a purpose statement and you're putting that flag in the ground. So, you know, once again, I'd summarize it with the fact that I'm here to change the world and I'm using my book as the catalyst. And it is through that, that I am going to bring more empathy and more connection where I feel like we have the greatest deficit, but also where people are most open to change. So I just want to thank you and uh, hit me up. Uh, The best way to get in touch with me, Instagram at, tough two two the number uh go to the millennial whisper.com uh that's two l's two n's that's how you spell millennial two l's two n's i learned that the hard way by writing a book all about it and uh you can pick up my book at amazon on the site or your local bookstore will be in every single airport in june and i'm super excited about what we're building here so thank you so much Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you want to become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away. Part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today?